morning, church. So good to be with you today. A special welcome to those of you who are with us for the first time. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I would love to be able to do that. If you've got a couple minutes right after the service, I'll be hanging out right down here uh, in the front if you want to make your way there. As Pastor Chris said, uh, today is a really special day for us. We've never really had one of these before. We're calling it Commitment Sunday. And what we've been doing over the last couple of months is we've been reflecting upon the words of Jesus as he talks about the use of our time, our talents, our treasures. Everything that we have comes to us from God. Therefore, we return it to him for his glory. And I just want to say how amazing the Illuminate Community Church family has been. So many of you have stepped up over this period of time. The prayer has been, God, what do you want to do in me? God, what do you want to do through me? We've seen so many people uh, sign on and participate with us in small groups. A lot of folks that weren't engaged with us before. Thank you for that. We put the call out to serve within our walls through volunteerism. So many of you responded to that. It's been amazing. And then we've got Serve Week coming up in the next week. You can uh, hit that QR code and check out, check out all those possibilities. In fact, some of those, are, those opportunities are, are actually filling up now. So thank you for that. We're going to have baptisms next Sunday. Uh, more information for that is on our website as well. There's someone out in the lobby that you can talk to. God is always on the move here. If you, if you haven't gotten that sense, that's just kind of how it is. And we love it. Last weekend, we prayed for God to give us our biggest outreach event ever, and he absolutely came through again. We had upwards of what we think are maybe 3,000 people or so on our campus, and God is just always, yeah, you can celebrate. And so now we come to this moment in our church's history uh, where it's really the fulfillment of about five years' worth of prayers we began praying, God, we would love to have a permanent home, uh, uh, the house of God for the Illuminate family. And it just seemed like one door literally after another would close on us. And then God gave us the opportunity to purchase this building. And if you know some of that story, even the way God worked and, and how it seemed like an impossibility for so long, God did what? He always does. He began to work behind the scenes in ways that we didn't fully see or realize at the time. Giving us the opportunity to make this place a house for God, a permanent church home. And what's really cool about being in the family of God is that you realize you stand in this long tradition. In other words, you can be counted amongst God's people, stretching back to the beginning of human history. And as you read through the scriptures, there are so many parallels. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, what we're experiencing as the people of God today is very similar to what the people of God experienced 3,000 years ago. They were living under the leadership of King David. And what happened to King David is that he's getting old. He's about to die, and he realizes it. And what happens is you get older in life, you begin to start thinking about legacy. What kind of impact am I going to leave behind? It's weird. What happens? You turn 40 years old, and you realize, oh, half my life is gone, you know, and that went by fast. What about the rest? What am I going to give myself to? What is my legacy going to be? So as David is beginning to think about this, he gets this vision. He says, you know, something's just not right. We've got this thing called the tabernacle. It's like a tent, and it's not very permanent. God needs a house where his people can come together 
and worship him in the fullness of who he is. And this house should in every way be a representation, an expression of who our God is. David says, I want to build it. And God responds, no. No. You're actually not going to be the builder. Great idea, but you're not the one who's going to build it. It's going to be up to you to provide the resources and the blueprints. But you're not going to build it because, you see, my house is a house of peace. David, you've got blood on your hands. And literally, his own countrymen, he has spilled the blood of his own countrymen. David's relationship with God is filled with highs and lows through it all. You read the different Psalms, Psalm 51, and you see the man's heart. Not perfect, but repentant. And God honors that, and God forgives him. But God says, still, it's not going to be you that fulfills this dream. It's going to be your son Solomon, because he's a man of peace. So David steps into it. He says, great. Uh, if that's what you want me to do, that's what... I'll do. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1, you actually see what's behind David's heart and mind when it comes to this. The real desire of his heart, verse 1. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, he's going to be the one who builds the temple, not me. I'm going to do the preparation. I'm going to do the spade work. But he's the one that's going to build it. But here's the thing. He's young and he's inexperienced, so he's going to need some help. Because the work is great. And then he says this, for the palace will not be for man, but it's going to be for the Lord. That's really important for us to remember. Let me put it to you like this. Every brick in this building, every square inch of this space, every single inch of this land, every parking space. It doesn't belong to me, and it actually doesn't belong to you. It's all for God. It's all for him. So this is interesting because now David finds some unique motivation here. The palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. There's this sense that this isn't a building. It's more than a building. It's what the building represents. This building, he says, is going to be a testimony to God. And so then David steps into his God-given role, and he begins to take the lead. And that's what good leaders do. They lead, and they inspire. Verse 2, he says, so I, I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. Here's what it is. Now, different parts of the building required uh, different materials. So he says, I provide the gold for the things that are going to be made out of gold, silver for the things that are going to be made out of, out of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood. Besides, he says, I provided great quantities of onyx and stones for setting. Antimony is an element that's silver, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, he says, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold. So this is from his own personal wealth. Um, we talked about this last week. On the light end, a talent is about 100 pounds. A heavy talent, right around 140 pounds. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir. Ophir was a region that was known for um, its uh, mineral deposits. And 7,000 talents of refined silver. 
for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Then he says this. Here's what I have supplied. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? So this is really cool. He says, um, if we're going to build this house for God, I'm going to step up as the leader and I'm going to lead first. I'm going to lead by example. And then he says, who's with me? But the way he says it is interesting because he says, if we're really going to be into this project, here's where it starts. You're going to have to consecrate yourself to God. That's how this is going to get accomplished. To consecrate yourself to God is to say, God, I'm setting myself apart for your purposes. So he's really speaking to a mind and a heart attitude. And by the way, um, essentially, David ends up donating billions of dollars of his own personal wealth. One of our attendees crunched some of the numbers um, the other day. And in total, it represents the project about $40 billion worth of today's money. David personally contributes a fourth of that as the leader out of his own pocket, $10 billion, right? And uh, you think about what this place was like, it would have been magnificent. And there's a sense, think about this, there's a sense that David, well, at least up until this point, he would have had the nicest structure in all the land as king. I mean, his palace was it, you know? I mean, there's nothing nicer than the king's palace. And so he's sitting in his palace and he realizes, I have this house and it's pretty amazing. But when the people of God gather right now, they're gathering by this tent and it's portable. (laughs) See, I have this palace and God right now has a tent of gathering, the tabernacle. And that's not right. So we need to do something about it. And so when we think about building the house of God, it's going to be nicer than anything any of us own. And you know the reason why? Because this is a testimony to who God is. So this is really interesting because people walk, will walk into church and they'll be like, do we really need five light bulbs? That seems extravagant. We put a lot of thought, time, effort, expense, into our own personal homes. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about the house of God in the same way. Why is that? According to what David says, is because it's a misplaced worship. Catch that? I know this is, I know. It's a little challenging. It's it's a misplaced affection. David says, no, here, we're going to do this right. We're we're going to give witness to how great we believe God is. And part of that's going to involve our own personal sacrifice so that when it's built, it's going to be something amazing. And then what happens next is really incredible. What would become known all over the world, even down to to our time, would be the beauty and the grandeur of what was known as Solomon's Temple. And believe it or not, it was paid for in one day. And I'm the kind of guy, I'm asking the question, how does that happen? How How do you get this kind of generosity in one day? Well, so is the king. David leads first. And then verse 6. Then the leaders 
of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and of the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God, 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks, that's a coin of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. He was in charge of the temple treasury. So this is leadership at its best. Leaders lead by example. And when leaders lead by example, what happens is that becomes an inspiration to everybody else. So what I want to tell you is this. Your leaders have led by example. They have given first. Everything we do at Illuminate has its guidance from the scriptures. So the starting gun for some of us happened a few months ago when we were told, hey, the owner said, I want, I want to sell this building, because previously he said, I don't, I don't sell, I don't sell. He's had buildings that have been in his family for more than 100 years. He said, I don't sell. And then God did something in his life. And guess what? He's selling one building. He doesn't know Jesus yet. But he said, I know Illuminate, and I've gotten to know the leadership. He said, I want this building to be a church. He said, that would make me so happy. And so this is what God does. All along we've been saying where God guides, he provides. And so the starting gun for us went off a little bit earlier. And so leaders led by example, they stepped up, and they gave first, and they gave generously. Notice verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. There's just like, there's just all this joy that gets generated because people are being generous. But notice two points here, key words. They gave what? Willfully, that means there was no pressure. That's really, that's important. God loves a cheerful giver. There's no pressure. It says they gave willingly. And secondly, it says they gave wholeheartedly. That means they gave with complete sincerity and commitment. And these two things are really good indicators. Uh, wherever God's people are gathered together, there should be a sense of generosity. Um, so what happens next? Um, some of you might be familiar with this prayer in the Bible. It's one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. For me, it's, it's got to be one of my top three. What you may not know is that this prayer was inspired as a result of generosity. We wouldn't have this prayer if it weren't for the people of God coming together and willingly and wholeheartedly saying, we want to build this house for God. And we're so glad that we have this opportunity to show where our affections lie and where our worship is. More to the point, back to the question, how does this happen? Well, uh, this prayer actually reveals how it happens. There's a ton of theology in this prayer, but at the same time, uh, it explains how the temple was built in one day by God's people. Here it goes. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth belongs to you. Did you catch that? See where he's going with this? He says it all belongs to you. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above everything. So both riches 
and honor. They come from you. And in case it hasn't been clear, you rule over all. See, in your hand are power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. So now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. So did you catch it in verse 12? That's the secret to wholehearted giving. He says, wealth and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of all things. Uh, he goes on and explains in more detail. Verse 14, he says, but who am I? Who are you? You're the king. You're like the most powerful man in the land. But this is David's heart, because in the presence of the greatness of God, what happens? You see yourself as you really are. You become small in the best way possible. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? Let's go at it again. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. How, how true is that? And there is no abiding. We don't remain on this planet forever, O Lord our God. All this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, it actually comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart. This is really interesting because this harkens to the words of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 where he says what? Where your treasure is, your heart is. David is saying, you know, this project is actually a test of your heart, the hearts of your people. Because we know that we spend according to our affections. We spend according to what we worship. The word worship is simply means to ascribe worth. So that's why Jesus really nails it. He draws back the bow and he lets the arrow fly when he's having a conversation with the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's actually the wrong question. It's not what you do. It's who you know. But Jesus is like, all right, we'll play. So here we go. Do everything. Here's your problem. Your God is still your money. Are you willing to give it up? And then the conversation gets really awkward. If it would have been anything else in the man's life, Jesus would have asked for that. But it was the money. And the conversation was really, you know, it was moving right along. And then all of a sudden when Jesus puts it out there, he starts pressing in on it. The guy's like, I got to go. It's all yours and you own it all. David says the people gave willfully, wholeheartedly, because they understand that everything comes from God. And so in a sense, we're just giving back to what God had already given to them in the first place for them to use for his purposes. Uh, that's why, from the Christian perspective, everything is so backwards, isn't it? There ought to be things that Christians do that, that the unchurched and unchristian, non-Christian look at and they go, why in the world would you do that? That makes absolutely no sense to me. You ever have someone say that to you? Why would you do that? Why would you give away what you have? Who does that? See, if you read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it's the most powerful sermon, the most popular sermon, been quoted by so many people, but the larger point is missed. I think Tim Keller said it first. It's the upside-down kingdom. You want to be first? Be last. You want to be great? Be a servant. You want to have real joy in this life? Give away your stuff. Don't treat it like this. Treat it like this. Be a steward of it. 
And as you steward it, you enter into the joy of your master because together you accomplish kingdom purposes. The best use of your money, all that you have, time, treasure, talents, is to give it to what counts for eternity. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Which you cannot keep. I heard the story about a preacher who gave a really powerful sermon. It was entitled, God Owns It All. And a wealthy landowner said, hmm, really? I need to talk to the pastor about that. So he invites the pastor over to his palatial estate for lunch. After they eat lunch, the man shows the pastor around the grounds and the gardens and beautiful landscape. And he says, pastor, you mean to tell me that I don't own this? You mean to tell me that all this doesn't belong to me? And the pastor said, let's have this conversation 100 years from now. Uh, someday the house I live in is going to be in someone else's name. God forbid they paint it a different color. <laughs> Do you think that might happen? You think some things might change because somebody else comes in and takes ownership of what I have? Guaranteed. Yeah, how about a sobering thought? You are probably two, certainly three generations away from being totally forgotten. What's the name of your great, great grandfather? And so the beauty of this is like, okay, God's people understand there's a different economy. You take what's been entrusted to you and you're open-handed with it and you're a steward with it and you get to enjoy the blessings of God. In the end, Matthew 25, as we read, read last week, it's hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let me just share with you why I'm so passionate about all of this. Uh, I've seen the hand of God direct this church every step of the way, literally from day one. It was really sweet, really, really sweet. Because after the first service, um, a lady approached me and she said, happy anniversary. And I was like... And I, and I was like, oh, happy anniversary. Because it was actually six years ago on October 31st, Jill and I were having dinner with this couple. And we were, I was in between jobs. <laughs> Not sure what was next, what God was calling us to, right? Uh, yeah, I had the audacity just to quit without knowing what was ahead. That was super fun great for the marriage. <laughs> uh, but it was. And so we're having dinner with this couple. Well, what are you thinking about doing? I don't know. I really don't know. I'm praying about it. I'm thinking about it. He said, Jill, what do you think? What do you think? Jill said, I, I think we need to start a church. And I'm looking at Jill going, excuse me? I had never heard her say that. At that point, I, we, we, had, we, had, we kind of danced around different topics, but I'd never heard her explicitly pinpoint it and it come out of her mouth. And uh, this lady and her husband, they said, well, that's interesting because, you know, there's some people that are going to be reaching out to you. And here we are. So you've heard me say many times, Please finish the sentence for me. Fulfill one of my fantasies. Where God guides, he provides illuminate.
So here we are, we're kind of standing on the edge of this, you know, this next step for us, making this church our permanent church home. We stand in this tradition with the people of God, stretching back 3,000 years. And uh, just realizing there isn't one thing we're going to own when we die. Every penny we have be in someone else's account. Your house in someone else's name. If we really believe that God owns it all, then there's no need for us to worry about our stuff because it's not really our stuff to begin with. So can you imagine what would happen, not only in this church, but in churches all across the valley, if the people of God had a new perspective on their stuff? You know, stocks, bonds, real estate, bank accounts, whatever it is, we would start thinking of all the ways that those things could be used to advance the kingdom of God with the time that we have on this earth. And it's not just the funds, it is our time. It is our gifts, our skills, everything that God blessed you with when he made you. Uh, there would be such a river of resources flowing to God's work that would multiply and influence for Jesus Christ that would reverberate in a profound way. So if it's not happening, we have to be honest with ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, search our hearts. That's why Jesus said, where well, your treasure is, your heart is. Jesus doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. But your heart follows your money and your money follows your heart. If it would have been something else, Jesus would have spoke to it, but that's the reality. So that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He cares too much not to mess with you a little bit. Uh, so throughout this bigger, smaller, deeper sermon series, I've been trying to impress upon all of us this one fact. It, and this is going to sound counterintuitive to many of you. By the way, if you're here for the first time, thanks for being here. Um, <laughs> definitely come back next week. This is an in-house conversation. We ask nothing from you. Just super excited and thrilled that you're with us. But this is an Illuminate family conversation once again. And, and it's, it's, uh, it really it, it is not about money. I'm like, well, sure seems like it. No, it's really not about money. It'd be like, look at, like looking at Jesus, Jesus and saying, yeah, where your treasure is, your heart is. Oh, you're just after my money. Jesus never took an offering because he doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And so through this process, what God has presented to the Illuminate family specifically is the opportunity to say, this is where my heart is. We have this opportunity to make this house of God for you. It's going to be, it's an amazing opportunity. You know, you know there, there are people who are part of churches that never have this kind of opportunity. I'm super thankful that I get to be a part of it, that I get to be a part of this legacy. It's always been about the heart uh, and your faith and our relationship with God. So, you know, I've been asking all of us to have some really deep and um, challenging conversations with God. And... Um, want to bring up a friend of mine, Shane Brown. Shane is uh, one of our uh, elders. He's actually our, our board moderator at this time. I can't tell you how much I love this brother. He's been um, a brother in the trenches uh, since, you know, since day one, along with some other really special people that are in the room and provide a lot of Holy Spirit wind in this pastor's sails when he needed it. Um, 
But it's been a transformational journey for all of us. And part of the fun is for us to get together just even as friends and say, hey, what's God doing in your life? How's God messing with your heart? How is he changing you? How is he stretching you? How is he transforming you? And so leaders lead by example. And so I've asked him to come and share a little bit about what BSD has meant to you and, and some of the pressing in that God's done in your life. Thank you, Jason. Um, is this on? Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, again, Shane Brown. Nice to see everybody. Um, this has been the most fulfilling faith walk in my entire life, and, and it's been facilitated, obviously, by God through Illuminate. And so Jason talks a lot about this living room meeting a long time ago, and uh, I was one of those crazy living room people that were there, you know, the weekend after Thanksgiving in 2015 that um, were there to, to listen, to listen to Jason's vision and what was pulling on his heart. But the difference with me compared to almost everybody else in that room was I didn't really know Jason that well. We had met a couple times, um, but I was so inspired by his vision and, and the families that were there, the Capobruses and the Kings and the Robersons and the Schmocks and the Farrells, all these great families that were there, and they were ready to give up a really comfortable church home that they were part of to start something brand new, to be bold and, and courageous and reach those people that didn't have a church yet. So um, what I wanted to do now is walk through bigger, smaller, deeper for the next 90 minutes, uh, just as a recap. No? We've, <laughs> there's a quiz on the way out, but no. Um, completely inspired by that, and, and that started my transform, transformative journey here. So a lot of you been, have been hearing about transformation over the last six, eight weeks. My journey here at Illuminate and being transformed started almost six years ago. And this is the home of my three kids, and a lot of you have taught them and nourished them and, and loved on them. My wife, this is where she finds her worship, where she finds her kinship with, with other ladies in our community. So this has been a huge transformation for me. It's, again, been the most fulfilling chapter of my own faith, has been the last five and a half, six years here at Illuminate. Um, when we talk as elders about um, bigger, smaller, deeper, and all these things, those conversations started a long time ago. The last time I was up here was in January of this year when Jason and I were saying, wow, praise God, there's, a, there's this building. Um, it's about to become available. The owner wants to sell it. The part that J Jason didn't say a couple minutes ago was the, the owner, he said the owner want, wanted to finally sell this place, but he didn't say that the owner is not even Christian. And he found it in his heart. He was moved to sell this place when his family keeps properties forever, and he wanted to sell it to us. So obviously, God continued his work there. But uh, several months ago, in the elder meeting, we all locked arms, and we challenged each other to leaders must go first. And we challenged each other um, to give sacrificially, to uh, really go first in this journey. And this was before brochures and a cool tagline and everything else. And we were holding each other accountable. Seven elders and Jason were literally locking arms in prayer and saying, we can't ask anybody to do anything around here unless we're willing to do it ourselves. So this is me being really vulnerable and men are not always so vulnerable or, or comfortable being vulnerable. I uh, was in that room and helped lead those discussions. As I was driving home, I reverted not to my heart and my faith, I reverted to my head and my analytical ability of, okay, this will mean this much in, in the family budget. Uh, what if the stock market crashes? What if the real estate market doesn't take off? What if my job is lost? What if I have to put two more kids in private school because of all the turbulence right now in, in our schools? And so I reverted to my brain 
And, and I thought of myself as obviously, you know, good, mature elder, and I reverted to my brain and not my heart and my faith. Uh, so long story short, I got home with my beautiful wife, wife Catherine, and, and we were sitting there, and over a week's time, we prayed a lot. Um, we discussed everything under the sun. Uh, we cried a couple times, and ultimately, by the end of that week, we were 100% aligned, and it was 100% in joy and, and, and freely that we wanted to give in a really sacrificial way. We weren't worried about, hey, what's gonna happen five years from now, or will this money be better served doing X, Y, and Z? We've been so nourished here and so fulfilled here and so transformed here that it was the easiest check that we've ever written. And, and so I mentioned that of not, hey, look at, look at the Browns, they're, they're pretty good people. I mentioned that because we had a head start. We had a head start from a few months ago, and it took us to a really special place, as it did with Jason and Jill, where they had to get on the same page. They had to find exactly what they wanted to do in a sacrificial way. And I'll tell you that your elders did go first in a very sacrificial way. And, and so it's easy for us now to stand up and, and stand at the table after service and answer questions because we've been on that journey. So um, this is my home. This is your faith home. And whether you've been here for a minute or almost six years, we love having you here. And our family's gotten bigger. And the relative size of our home has gotten smaller, right? So we want to continue to reach out with the bigger, smaller, deeper. Uh, in my words, Bigger to me is the needs of our world have never been bigger than they are now with everything going on. And the, the, the influence of the Christian church has never been smaller, unfortunately. And we see that in our own communities. We see that in our neighborhoods. We see that in our schools. We see it all over the place. Um, so I'm just here to tell you that if, if we lock arms and we pray and we align and we transform, we can change things in a really deep, profound way. So again, um, thankful to each and every one of you who have poured into my, chi my children and my family. Love having each and every one of you here. And I'm just challenging now to, to dig deep. Get out of your own way. Let the Holy Spirit get within you and indwell and find that sacrificial level that you're comfortable with because we have a huge responsibility here for God to continue to work in us and through us. And again, love you all and thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, appreciate it, man. You're awesome. So for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been having these conversations with God, many of us, and this morning we come prepared to offer our gifts and what our commitments are going to be. We've handed out this um, prayer faith commitment card. It's pretty simple. It's our gift on this side. And then on the other side is a little perforation to take uh, home with you. Some of you are prepared to uh, fill this out. You've already filled out. Some of you have turned it in already. Um, some of you might need a, a few more minutes or a little bit more time to process it and think about it. Some of you may need to take it home. That's fine. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to enter in into a time of uh, communion uh, together. Remember the generosity of God towards all of us in giving us his son, Jesus Christ, right? Growing up in my home, you can't outgive God. When we get to eternity, uh, that's going to be proven in a powerful way. So, but before you leave, would encourage you just to take that uh, tear-off section and drop it off in the boxes, bigger, smaller, deeper boxes. There's a couple on the sides and one in the back uh, as you leave as well. So let's prepare our hearts together. Father, as we enter into this time, God, we ask just one, one thing from you, and that is this. God, will you speak to our hearts, perhaps in ways that you never have before? May each one of us look back, even on this specific day, 
as a milestone in our own lives. So we catch a, a bigger vision of who you are. And the opportunity in a tangible way to express where our worship lies. With what you have entrusted to us. We, we, want, we want to be found faithful and true to Jesus' words in the right way. Where our treasures are, there our hearts are. Father, this, uh, this moment, as we reflect upon the, the generosity that's represented in the cross, we're reminded of all that we have to gain in the life to come. So, Father, help us live today in light of eternity. And as always, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to every heart in the room. For those who are far from you, pray that they would come to understand your great worth, your great love, your mercy, your grace. You can't get to heaven by being good. Otherwise, there would be no need for the cross. At the same time, we have all done something that put Jesus on the cross. And so, Father, we're thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. Speak to us now, we pray. Pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible. Amen.